my wife was like, I was like, remember I got podcast. She goes, oh, it's so annoying. Uh, <laughs> like, Can you just do one of those round tables? And I'm like, that was last month. <laughs> everybody it is episode 209 of bourbon pursuit i'm one of your hosts kenny and the bourbon news cycle it moves quick what's trending one day is going to become pretty stale soon and i'm sure many of you are like myself when a bourbon warehouse collapses or when 45,000 barrels of bourbon go up in flames from a lightning strike at a jim bean warehouse we probably get a lot of messages in our inbox about it and i kind of want to focus on this and say where are we at today on the current situation So on July 4th, the Woodford County Fire Department waited to extinguish the fire for a few days because, as they said, there is less environmental impact to allowing the ethanol and just letting it continue to burn. Beam Suntory put out a press release saying that the barrels in the warehouse contain relatively young whiskey from the Jim Beam mash bill, and thus it will not impact availability of the product to its customers. And they are going to be working with local, state, and federal agencies to conduct response operations. Now, beyond just the whiskey, Jim Beam is looking at a $50 million loss. That would be the bourbon loss at around $45 million, with an estimated additional $5 million in the damages to the warehouses and the cleanup process. And that cleanup is going to be in response to a mass amount of bourbon that has entered the Ohio River after traveling more than 20 miles down the Kentucky River. And the Kentucky's Division of Fish and Wildlife is already characterizing the spill as a severe fish kill though officials are still continuing to assess the damage to the aquatic life. In a Facebook post on Monday, the Kentucky Energy and Environment Cabinet said that the Department Fish and Wildlife Resources is on the river again, and they are continuing to assess the fish count kill, and the results are continuing to pend. They are also going to see dead and dying fish. People are using the Kentucky River in the area, and they're going to start seeing and smelling the dead fish as well. Robert Francis, the manager of the emergency response team, said that the bacteria in the water is going after the food source, which is the sugar and the alcohol. So it ends up depleting the oxygen. The fish start to become distressed and they eventually die. According to officials, the dead fish will decompose naturally with no harm to the river, so there's no plan to remove them. Beam Suntory is likely going to be handed a large fine once this comes to a close. If you've taken a drive in Bardstown or Shively, Kentucky, or really anywhere near a distillery or aging warehouses, you'll notice this sort of black fungus or film that grows on the side of rickhouses and even finds itself attached to road signs and surrounding homes. In 2007, when University of Toronto mycologist James Scott published an academic paper about the fungus, it pinned it on the whiskey industry. Dr. Scott discovered that this fungus, which he named Badonia, after the man who first studied it in 1872, Anton Badon, feeds on the ethanol vapor released by liquor as it ages. Since ethanol is denser than air, the evaporated angel share doesn't float up into the sky after all, but rather into the surrounding communities. And when this airborne ethanol meets the slightest bit of moisture, it's going to be common because distilleries and towns are usually near those water sources. You get whiskey fungus all over the place. You can read more about this fungus and how it's plaguing neighboring towns from an article on by vice.com, which can be found in our show notes. This podcast, it's always been about education, and our focus is how do we bring the biggest personalities behind bourbon 
to the forefront and give listeners a chance and the experience to hear directly from them. We never intended this podcast to be about Ryan or I and really what we think. And that's why we never did bourbon or whiskey reviews as a part of our format. However, over the years, people are continually asking us what we think of a particular bourbon. So we wanted to figure out a way to do just that without impacting our pretty much our scheduled routine here. So next week, we are launching a new content stream that will be available through your current podcast subscription you're listening to right now, as well as YouTube, and we're calling it Whiskey Quickie. As we did with the podcast, we researched the landscape of bourbon reviews on the internet to see which format would be best for us. YouTube, it's a large segment, and the reviews we watched went anywhere from five minutes upwards to almost an hour long. So we're setting off to make Whiskey Quickie unlike anything out there today. It's a whiskey review with no cutting and no editing, and it will be done with a 60-second countdown timer. Sure, it may sound rushed, but at first, these reviews are going to give you something else to listen to on Tuesdays while you wait for the usual Thursday podcast release. We're very excited to launch Whiskey Quickie, and the first episode will premiere on July 16th. You can catch Whiskey Quickie right here on your existing podcast subscription, or you can head over to YouTube and watch the video version. All right, I think I've talked enough, so let's get on with the Bourbon Community Roundtable, where we discuss the cultural implications of the Jim Beam fire, as well as Heaven Hill's seven-year bottled and bond release. But before that, we've got a substitute for Above the Char with Ryan Cecil. I'm Ryan Cecil. Yep, at that thrift show loop. Fred's out of town in uh, Portugal doing something really cool. So uh, you have me this week. What I want to talk to you about is uh, being in the whiskey business and all the middlemen and all the hands that are in your pocket. So when Kenny and I started a brand pursuit series, I had no idea how many hands and middlemen would be in our pockets anywhere from the ABC people to the distributors to the liquor store owners to the lawyers to the barrel brokers to the label people to the cork people to the glass people to every people in the world that gets their hand in our pocket so we can bring someone some bourbon. But, you know, it's kind of frustrating. But then you think about it. And when I was on the phone with a distributor, his kids got in the car. And I was like, well, wait a minute. This guy's a family has to pay for. Well, he deserves that. And then you start thinking about the ABC person that's filing your paperwork, and you're like, well, they have a family. I guess they deserve it too. And then you think about the liquor store and the landlord and all the people who just make everything happen. And then I'm like, well, I guess they do deserve it. And so while it is very frustrating and very uh, just greedy of me selfishly, because I am a consumer and a proprietor and creator of a product that I want to bring the best possible product to my consumers at the best cost. But then, you know, there's a lot of people that we're supporting along the way. And it kind of gives me good perspective about why things are the final price they are as they sit on the bar. And that this week is above the char. Hope I didn't blow it. And uh, we'll see you next time. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. 
One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here tonight on the Bourbon Community Roundtable number 34. This is where we talk about all the recent news, things that have been happening inside the bourbon world. And tonight is going to be, uh, it's going to be light on topics, but they're going to be very, very heavy topics. So I'm kind of really excited to talk about this one. But before we we jump into it, Ryan, what's been uh, what's been new in your world recently? Uh, sweating a lot. It's hotter than hell. <laughs> and the humidity. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like. I think it's like our 12th or 13th day in a row, 90 degrees, and it's like, oh, God. But no, it's, uh, I'm excited for tonight. We actually, each of us will probably have some room to talk. Like, I'm looking at the towels in front of me, and there's, you know, only one, two, three, four, you know, where there's normally like 10. So uh, we'll all have our chance to chime in. So I like it. Yeah, that too. And, you know, you mentioned that it's humidity. I, I look at it as a good thing because I always like to think that I'm, I'm walking and I'm sweating and I'm losing weight. But maybe it's just not that. Maybe it really is just the humidity kicking <laughs> yeah, in there. And then you drink one of those stouts and you're like right back at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I keep gaining weight, but I'm actually sweating too much. That's I don't think that's yeah. how it's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, it's just like working out or going to the sauna are the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. not quite. But. Are you sweating out those demons? Is that exactly, what you're doing? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. So as usual, what we're going to do is we're going to go around the horn. So. Uh, I'm going to go start off my left, uh, our Cal Ripken of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. Blake, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is the, what are we at, 37th Roundtable? Close, uh, 34. 
That is incredible. 34 round tables. Yeah. So congratulations to everyone on that. Um, No, always great to be here. I'm Blake from Bourboner. You can find me on all the interwebs and social medias, B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R.com, as well as sealbox.com as well for all your craft spirit needs. That's S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S. Thanks for having me. Spirit shipped right to your door. It's about as easy as it can get. (laughs) There's there's no waiting in lines. There's no calling you, you yeah, you, No camping out. You you just you know flip you just flip on your and iPhone and, and and it's there. It's sometimes free too. So just <laughs> <laughs> depending on the screw up, you know yeah, how bad we mess things up. It may just show up free. Still yeah. working the billing system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nick, go ahead. All right, I'm uh, Nick from Breaking Bourbon, one of the three guys behind Breaking Bourbon, breakingbourbon.com. Check us out, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Breaking Bourbon. And uh, hey, glad glad to be here. I'm I'm kind of back and forth between myself and Jordan. And I think uh, over the past weekend, we convinced Eric to start joining in a little bit more too. So you'll see the the man behind the man, I think a little bit more here this year. Ooh, Uh uh-oh, a secret coming alive. Glad to be here. (laughs) Yeah, coming off the bench. I like it. Yeah, and so Nick, one thing that that I noticed in your background was uh, you all did a, a new riff pick recently that went through Sealbox. Uh, you had a pretty funny, you had a pretty funny sticker behind it. I also want you to kind of talk about that one. Yeah. So these are some of the picks here. It's actually still still waiting on my bottles by just a test sticker on there. If you can see that, so we kind of wanted to play with uh-huh. the the, the riff the riff thing. So Riffler's mom. Uh, Stifler, you know, so Steve Stifler, so everybody they can relate to that. Um, interestingly, just had a, a 20 year reunion, so that movie actually came out. American Pie came out uh, during the summer um, after graduation of high school and before college. So, needless to say, it was a, a fun summer. Um, but uh, <laughs> as soon as that kind of came up and and uh, we started banting around the idea, I think it just stuck, and, and that's what we went with. So, how many more riff? ideas are there going to be out there i've got to be getting close (laughs) i've had more inquiries about riffler's mom though people have seen the sticker and it's like hey so how do i get one of those like well you got to be the number one patreon supporter i guess so uh (laughs) over to freaking bourbon they are they are sold out though now too i think right blake they think they sold out today through the patreon supporters but yeah it didn't take long (laughs) no no no, Although I have seen, I've seen Ken Riffy Jr. I've seen Riff James. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so we got a few more Riff puns I think still available. But Riffomania, yeah, <laughs> there's there's so many out there. There's a, good, a lot of good ones too. All right, and so to our resident lawyer Brian, how's it going? Hey, thanks, uh, thanks for having me again. Great to be here. This is Brian with Sipping Corn. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram now finally, and uh, and Facebook at uh, Sipping Corn and online at sippingcorn.com or bourbonjustice.com. And again, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this one. So before we dive into it, Brian, did I see something? It was posted by Brett Atlas a little bit earlier today. I guess there was a paper or something that was published that, that you had done recently that he finally said... Uh, at least he put it on his Facebook. Uh, for many of you guys know, Brett Atlas, he's a he's a friend of the show. He was on talking about Four Roses and Barrel Picks and stuff like that. Um, but he said that he was quoted in one of your, I don't want to say like dissertation, I don't know what you call it, but you know, yeah. whatever it is. Well, yeah, it's it's yeah close to that. It's basically the, the scholarly journal side of, of what lawyers do. And I had an article published in a 
law journal from University of Kentucky and I, for the bourbon history and to make a point about how much bourbon enthusiasts dive deep into the, these issues. I quoted some of uh, his articles from Bourbon and Banter. Um, I've got, I had a Breaking, uh, breaking Bourbon uh, citation on there. Uh, I had Bourbon Truth on there. So I was, I was trying to uh, make a few points about how deep we all dive and how into the weeds we get. And those definitely provided some of the best examples for it. All right. So, Ryan, me and you need to step up our game and just not like bullshitting about stuff, but put some facts out there. <laughs> yeah. right. Facts are optional. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I can understand why you would leave us out. I wouldn't want to be cross checked or referenced, you know, for, for my facts. I appreciate well, being on there, Brian. That was uh, the two year storage experiment, and that was definitely our longest dive into anything. Oh, it was a great deep dive, you know, the oxidation <laughs> effects. I mean, that was, that was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I tried to find a quote from the round table and I just couldn't find anything with factual support. So I <laughs> the only, the only factual support was actually the stuff that you contributed to. Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't want to cite myself. So I quote myself from a yeah. uh, recent podcast. <laughs> Although I did have a plug for the book in the article, so I can't say I didn't quote myself, but, uh, well, you yeah. should. Yeah. So I'll, for anybody that's curious about what that is, I'll make sure I put it in the show notes, of the podcast, so you can go and check that out uh, at your own leisure because it is uh, it is a long, long thing to read. I scrolled through like the first two pages and I was like, am I almost done? Oh crap. There's like 18 more to go. So yeah. I, uh, I'll put that out there for somebody else that wants to see it. Yeah. It's the insomnia cure. It, it is maybe just, just go to the, go, go to the parts where I quote the fellow bloggers and uh, then be done. That's fine. Perfect. Ooh, so Kenny battles insomnia, so there you go, Kenny. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Let's let's see how much I can drink tonight. We'll see if we go to sleep <laughs> later. There you go. Yeah. And so let's go ahead and let's move on to our, our first topic conversation tonight. And this one is really focused around that was it was the big news last week, uh, and this was the Jim Beam warehouse fire. It's estimated somewhere around like. 45,000 barrels may have been lost at the Jim Beam Warehouse fire. And this is just down the road of Castle and Key and the Glens Creek Distillery uh, near Millsville, Kentucky. And if you put this into perspective, it's about half of the 92,000 barrels that were lost during the Heaven Hill Distillery fire of 96. And that's when seven rick houses had actually burned to the ground. And at that time, that loss represented about 2% of the nation's bourbon supply at that time. And I think we can all kind of look at it and really say that this is a this is a big travesty, right? This is a tragedy for for all that involved. There were people that were commenting and saying things like, oh, it's only a white label. Who cares? Or saying, oh, I have pre-fire OGD 114 and I'll go ahead and post it for sale. Or people were joking and saying, that's Jack Daniels starting the fire, saying how Alcoholics Anonymous benefited from it. I mean, let's take a step back and think about it. Like, is this really like the current state of affairs of what we see in the bourbon community and what we should expect when something like this happens, when there's millions and millions of dollars on the line for a very large organization? There are firefighters that are sitting there trying to contain the fire that are trying not to spread to people's homes in the area. And people are just just making jokes out of it. I mean, is this is this natural? Like, is this what we could expect from here on out? I think one thing to point out is that no one got injured or died or anything, which is the key thing. I think the mood could have been very different if that was the case. And that scene right up front, that was the message that was out there. And I think because of that, 
you know, that the tone was able to be different or, you know, people maybe felt they could, you know, be, be different with the tone as a result of that. And that's really probably the biggest thing is that, you know, you have these what could be really pretty scary incidents um, happening that, you know, fortunately we haven't had, you know, anything really seriously happen to anyone to get injured or, or, or killed, you know, more, more recently in some of these more major, highly publicized ones. So I think that plays into it in this case as well. Yeah, it's kind of been a black eye for bourbon warehouses the past two years. I mean, it's like how many more can like, you know, get some tr- some natural disaster or something collapse. It's like it just kind of makes you realize that like how old this stuff is. And like they're I don't know, it kind of needs probably some intervention maybe to kind of protect them more. Like not just like, oh, it's been there. It's been built forever. It's all good, you know, so um yeah, it's just it's just been happening too much lately, I think, and it's kind of serious because we all go on barrel picks and we're all in those things, and tons of tourists go in and out of them. I'm I'm really just, uh, you know, it's just kind of scary, you know, that, that all this has happened so much recently. So I think people need to take it more seriously than than uh, than just oh, it's a white label or it's don't drink the water that's going in the you know in the Ohio River. Don't drink it, you know. It's it's definitely more serious than that. So it's something we need to the community needs to take serious and you know the the distilleries as well yeah i think that's uh there's there's a few comments in the chat saying um you know is this a rick house problem of late like is it is it the, the age that's catching up on these things um you know on the barton side that most certainly could have been a problem uh because there was maybe lack of oversight in regards of maintenance or something like that uh, however this this what happened at jim beam was uh, a lightning strike and from what I understand is that lightning poles are uh, are pretty ubiquitous anywhere. So they're they're stationed around the properties and that's what's supposed to uh, basically detract the lightning to go away from most of the warehouses. They're installed in a lot of places. Uh, however, you know, it, it's lightning. Um, so by regards to lightning, hopefully it doesn't strike twice in the right spot or the same well, spot. Well, sure, but, but the, the old warehouses are grandfather and they don't have sufficient sprinkler systems like the new ones. If you have a if your rick is so many barrels you're not required to have them it's like okay um you know these are like serious things that you know that you know people can get hurt and i think they need to take it seriously that it's just not some warehouse out there um i don't know yeah this this used to happen a a lot more historically i mean there were i don't know about the collapses but there were definitely fires and there were all kinds of injuries in in warehouses and at distilleries generally so I think we're probably looking at it in in the context of the the big bourbon boom lately. So we're all more people are paying attention to it. I mean, if this happened ten years ago, it would probably barely be a blip. Uh, but sure. fires happen, um, and I think what we might see is is a change to have the um, the ground built up around them to contain the any spirits that get out because we've got a fish kill on the Kentucky River now. Um, I mean, it's it's a real ecological problem when this happens. So I, I expect to see some some of this grandfathering kind of get questioned and, and some of these warehouses might need to be brought up to more current code. Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, the cynicism is kind of, natural and in anything like this you know you think just about anything serious that happens there's going to be somebody um and a lot of us take this as a hobby so 
it's only natural to joke about it when, you know, in, in real life, there's people whose livelihoods and all that kind of depend on it, which, you know, you look at this and while Beam's a massive corporation, this is probably still a $40 million plus loss. So that that is a big thing that should be taken serious. Um, I know David from Rare Bird was saying, I think it was on Twitter or somewhere, just like, this is just what happens with something like this. You're just going to have the people joking around about it. Um, and it's unfortunate to an extent, but at some point it's like, you know, what else are, we can't just sit here and mourn the loss of barrels as well. You know, as long as nobody got hurt, um, I don't know the, I'm not going to be posting a bunch of, uh, pre-fire Jim Beam jokes, but at the same time, we didn't delete them from the bourbon or group either. I didn't feel like it was that offensive, I guess. Um, heard a whole lot more offensive stuff than than warehouse jokes yeah absolutely yeah for <laughs> sure month, so. yeah, i agree with I, that i don't know i just kind of took it <laughs> took it in stride it, it's gonna happen um any kind of news is gonna get turned into a meme these days and that's not the bourbon world that's that's anything you know very serious issues happen and somehow it becomes like a funny picture with some words on it <laughs> and that's, well and sometimes you need comic relief for serious what you yeah. know to kind of help you move past it or it, whatever, it does but. seem like it's been happening a lot and maybe that's just because we're focusing on a lot more now you know it's it's interesting to hear brian say that this was very uh or, or was much more prevalent you know a long time ago you know i guess maybe 30 40 50 years ago um but you would think we'd have a little more safeguards in place to to stop some of the stuff, especially like the collapses. You know, you think building codes and everything would um, and inspections would improve that kind of stuff. But lightning strike, that's pretty you, you can't really avoid that um, and, unless you just have fire uh, sprinkler systems and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and Blake, you kind of reminded me of something of like, you know, you and you, you did too, Ryan, of saying like you have to make light of a, of a certain situation, you know, it, and I don't know, like when the, the too soon thing really, you know, is supposed to like play a part into this. But, you know, it reminds me of like one of my favorite comedians is Daniel Tosh. And he says that like nothing is off limits. And and it's it's kind of funny. It's like I think about it now, I think back. I was like, yeah, well, maybe maybe when is that that boundary or that you know, whenever can you say something about it? And, and I, I guess in this light, you look at it and you say, well, at this point, um, it is a financial loss. There was nobody that was hurt. There were people that put their lives on the line, but it wasn't to the point where, you know, it's, it's not like any of us had like a barrel in there that was like our thing. And we're like running in there to go save it. Right. It, it was, it was just like, it was a contained fire. Uh, they let it burn. I think I read a news article on WHAS or something like that. They were talking to, one of the fire marshals and they're like, yeah, this is the best smelling fire we've ever been to. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> one of those things that even the fire marshals are, are kind of having a good time with it. You know, I, but I think it, it might just be in, in, in poor taste sometimes if it's like 30 minutes. When the the day, news, yeah. The yeah, day yeah. <laughs> like, Hey, let's let, I was going to use a pun of like, let's let the fire settle or dust settle. first. <laughs> <laughs> Not my intention, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, give it a little bit of time, make sure everyone's okay. And then it's like, okay. It's been but a I few days, Blake. You're clear. I'm good. Okay. I feel <laughs> better. <laughs> I mean, I've heard estimates as is like $270 million of losses. Um, that seems like a with, lot for 45,000 barrels. Well, I mean, you got to think 5,000 a barrel, you know, uh, probably. I mean, it's cheap stuff that they're getting like 
probably 250 plus bottles out of. I mean, and then you times about 40,000. So I don't know. That's I a, was thinking uh, replacement cost. Yeah. So you got to wonder what they insured it for. They got to build a barrel. Then they've got to rebuild right. the warehouse. Right. Um, but yeah, and, I could be and, way off. And one yeah, of the worst opportunity costs too. So you're just, it just surprises you that they don't take, I guess they do have them insured, but you know, it seems like, okay, I could spend, 500 grand on a warehouse to get it sprinklered or whatever, you know, correctly to help save maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just way off. I'll, I'll ask was, Donald Bezik or Donald Blinko. <laughs> part of what's tragic to me, though, is this, and people keep calling it the beam fire, which of course it is, but it's it's old crow. And I don't know when these, I didn't, I didn't pay attention when these were built, but this is a distillery built in the 1870s, I think. I think it was 1870, I think is when Old Crow was built. Um, I don't know if those date back that long, but if if ever we were going to have a revitalization of the Old Crow brand, and if they were ever going to bring that distillery back as some kind of tour destination like they have at uh, Old Taylor for Castle and Key, I mean, we're losing out on those opportunities. And and that's, that's what bums me out uh, the most, since there wasn't any injuries about this. Brian, I think you bring up a good point, too, because uh, I know Fred, who couldn't be on tonight, uh, he, he kind of made a mention to me in a text message and saying, like, this is this is scary. Uh, you know, not it was when it was happening is like not just for the, the fire and everything. He's like he's talking about the visitors, like the people of, of bourbon and really what this could mean, saying that this should if, if more of these things happen, whether they're fires, whether warehouse collapses, any sort of distillery mishap that makes headlines he said, this could completely change any visitor experience you ever go to. It could completely change any barrel pick experience you ever go on. Like, it could eventually get to the day where they're saying, like, no, like, we're not allowing anybody else in the warehouses. Yeah. Like, Forget a hard hat right. tour or anything yeah. like that. You're, well, I mean, Kenny and I experienced that for a Barton pick, 1792 pick. And, you know, there was lightning in the area. And they're like, no way, we're going to do it inside. And it. It's not as fun, you know, being in a little tasting room. But luckily, the sky's cleared and they let us go back in there. But yeah, it's you're, you're he's totally right, and that's for the right reasons, though. Too. Oh, sure, it's, absolutely, it's legitimately. Well, it's it's legitimate, but I always think when I think of a sterile experience, I, I think of the the Heaven Hill downtown. I mean, it's it's like Disneyland, and you you don't get any sort of real experience there. And that's, I mean, that's could be what this turns into if the insurance companies won't insure the distilleries if they let people in. I mean, that's who's going to drive it. It's can you get coverage or, or can you get coverage that you can afford? Um, and maybe you have to limit it to visitor centers and kind of the Disneyland look. Yeah. yeah. Right. That, that would be a detriment. That would be a sad thing to see happen. Yep. But I would, I would play this angle, though, too. You know, I'm. I got sent the link in that from a lot of people who are outside of bourbon who just know that I'm into bourbon. And so they sent the link, but from somebody's perspective, that's not really involved in bourbon, you know, you're so bombarded with bad things happening all the time. You know, do you look at something like this and not really think anything of it, you know, cause you're not involved. No one was injured or hurt. You know, you see bad, so much worse stuff than this happen on a daily basis in the news, depending on what you watch, you know? So in the big scheme of things, um, it, the impact is is really a lot more just on you know the enthusiast and that specific kind of bourbon crowd or the potential impact is there you know in addition to the environmental stuff you know but again that gets to kind of just all those bad things just cycling through the news on a daily basis 
No, you're totally right. And and, and who knows if, if this might have been a you know a smaller craft distillery. Who knows if would even made headlines, um, especially right. around the nation, right. um, just because of of the size and the impact of what it was. I mean, um, you know, if, if I saw a quote from John Little from Smooth Ambler, he put on Facebook, and you know, he said that it's sad to see these kind of incidents, like no matter the size of the company. And he says, I often put myself in Smooth Ambler's position, and a tragedy like this would be completely devastating to his type of business. So it definitely is uh, a scale thing too uh, when it comes to it. So yeah, they lose forty-five thousand barrels; they're done. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I think at this point, I think we can kind of move on. We've uh, we're all we're all kind of. Uh, Fire it up. Is it too soon? <laughs> too soon. Okay. Okay. In the poor pre-fire heaven hill. All right. So, uh, so I won't do that, but yeah, now we're going to go into, uh, kind of the, the next topic. And this is the one that, uh, I think it's might've been a little bit old news by now, but we're going to go ahead and kind of spark the situation back up because, uh, it's the round table and, and why not? Because this is going to be a lot of the opinions of really what we see of what's happening inside of the, the bourbon community and everything like that. So, uh, everybody kind of remembers about, Oh gosh, what was it about a year and a half ago? And, this was something that we had talked about in the roundtable plenty of times. Nick had talked about it, uh, saying, you know, every time I come down to Kentucky, what do I do? I grab a few bottles of Heaven Hills six-year bottle and bond, and I take it back home with me. It's some of the best bourbon at twelve dollars a, a, you know, a seven fifty ml that you can get on the shelves. And a, a year and a half ago, they had announced that there was going to be a. Uh, I guess the retirement or the phasing out of this particular product. When that announcement happened, shelves started clearing. I mean, gone in Kentucky, here and there and everywhere. Um, it ended up getting to the point where I think now you can actually still get on the secondary market. It's somewhere around like forty dollars for a seven fifty. So you get scarcity. People hoard it. People buy it up. This is what happens. And now, since they did uh, discontinue a beloved $12 six-year product, and they Heaven Hill is now, I don't want to say relaunching. They are launching almost a similar product. Um, it is their seven-year Heaven Hill bottled and bond. So with this comes a few different things. You get an additional year. Uh, it's still bottled and bond, so it's still 100 proof. However, it comes with a 233% price increase, about three times the price. Uh, so you're going from $12 to around $39.99 SRP. And with this, it also comes in its initial launch is also limited availability, only available in like, I think, eight states across the U.S. So before we start diving into kind of like the business side, how do we compare this to other things in the market? But look at I'm going to kind of pose it to you all. And, and Ryan, I'll, I'll kind of ask you first, was this the right move by Heaven Hill? You know, I love Heaven Hill, but man, they botch a lot of things like the Elijah Craig 12 year age statement, like moving it to the back label, then moving it to the side, then doing it and then saying, Oh, it's not going away. And then it goes away, you know? And then this, it's like, I don't care what they do. Just like, just be upfront about it. Who cares? You know, like I'm still going to love you, but uh, I think, yeah, they should have just been like, Hey guys, given the market, we have a great product. You know, there's stuff out there in the market. That's way less age not as good you know with a bigger price tag we feel like this is what it's worth and here you go and i would have been like yep you're totally right i totally agree with you give me my seven year for 40 bucks but 
Uh, and I still will do that because it's going to be a great product. But uh, yeah, it's just I don't know why they do that. I, I just don't understand. But that's, I that's will say me. that I am wearing my Heaven Hill hat tonight <laughs> to make sure that I am showing support for the brand because I still love the brand. Oh uh, yeah, of course I love is, their. And and yeah, I mean it is. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's a dagger to the heart for a lot of bourbon consumers and bourbon lovers out there because you were wrong. Like this was on the shelves for a very, very long time around here. And it's not like it was flying off. No. It was just a, it was just a, it was a great value for what it was. Uh, but before we do that, you know, dive into more of it, um, Blake kind of talk about your side. Do you, do you think this was the right move by heaven Hill to, to, to kind of get rid of it and relaunch it? Yeah, I think it was definitely the right move. Um, not from, you know, my perspective as a consumer, but from a business standpoint, it was, the best move they can make, you know, I, I can't imagine what the cost is on a, you know, six year old bourbon, but the margins probably weren't huge. They've basically learned through all these other things of, you know, moving the the 12 year to the back label, then pulling it off completely, then kind of redesigning the Elijah Craig barrel proof. And, the, you know, they took away Elijah Craig 18 year and reintroduced it a couple of years later at four times the price, three times the price around there. They realize they can kind of do whatever they want. And yes, a small group of us will kind of cry foul, but overall the market still embraces it and still buys it. And, you know, it's just kind of keep doing what they want to do. And they know that the, that the product was undervalued. So they said, okay, let's, put it out at a higher price, people will still buy it. And it's still a pretty good deal. You know, I have a different perspective on it because I'm not in Kentucky. So it's not something I could regularly get. Um, so it, it's not like I'm missing out on anything. It's if in my mind, I'm, it's a, a plus to me because I'll actually now have a 30 to $40. What, what's the retail? 40, 40, 40, $40. bottle. But mm-hmm. at that, I'm just going to go buy Elijah Craig, which is, you know, slightly proof down but probably a little bit older um so i mean from a business standpoint i think that's ultimately the right move and we have given heaven hill more than enough reason to believe that the market will not care and they'll still go buy it so yeah well you know, the thing is yeah 90 percent of the market does it probably didn't even yeah, realize yeah, they, that it was the kentucky only six-year exactly. product at 9.99 or whatever so you know, you know it's like a, who gives a shit about these bargain uh, few that mm-hmm. now that could turn on them really quickly if things start to get a little bit tighter and they need you know the enthusiast market again but um i still think we're a little ways out on that happening um yeah so i don't know i mean would I have loved to see another great value bourbon that's still really underpriced? Yes, of course. I think we'd all want to see that. But at the end of the day, it's a business, and yeah. I'm guessing they made the right business move. I just have one more point before you move on, Kenny, to the next person. I think the biggest travesty here is that, like you said, you'll go buy Elijah Craig for whatever or Henry McKenna, whatever. Well, they're going up too. So that's just the nature of the progression that's happening here. And so it's just going to slowly move on to those brands. You know, you look at it, heaven Hills had by far the most value based bourbons for the longest time. You know, you think of Henry McKenna 10 year, you think of Evan Williams, single barrel, you think of Elijah Craig was 12 years for a while. Even the Elijah Craig barrel proof, in my mind, is still a pretty good buy, depending mm-hmm. on where you are. It's oh, a yeah. great buy. It's a great buy. You know, yeah. JW Dant bottled and bond, like 
that is a great bottle um, for $20. So, you know, while we want to kind of cast that first stone, it's kind of like there's still a lot of other great bourbon out there. Um, so that's why it's like, hey, cash in, make your money, go make build some more warehouses or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Nick, I'll kind of ask you a question. Like, do you think the the idea with this was to try and compete with other brands in the market, like the Woodfords and the Knob Creeks that are around that $40 price range? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's interesting thinking about, before I answer that question, thinking about the progression that it took, which was the undiscovered, nobody talked about it. It's sitting maybe dusty on the shelf for 12 bucks in Kentucky. And then it kind of got discovered. And that's when you started at people who were outside of Kentucky coming in like me. I was one of them. And I would buy a lot of it just because, quite frankly, the price was really the draw. It was the value relative to the price. It was good for the price. Um, And it's not like I stockpiled it. That's what I would take to a party. And I would leave the bottle there. And then I'd get texts from whoever's house it was that was a party saying, hey, I'm drinking this now. And I'd be like, Fantastic. You know, it's only available in Kentucky. Enjoy it. You know, that kind of a thing. And then I think what happened was you started seeing more people clear the shelves because it kind of became obvious that maybe this wasn't going to go on forever. And it was such a good value. And so looking at the perspective from Heaven Hill, you know, why sit there and let that happen? If the idea was it's kind of always available for people in Kentucky and it's suddenly kind of not available or it looks like it's not going to be available, you're not really doing anyone any favor. So I, I agree. I think that was a smart move. Exactly how they went about doing it and why. I think that's kind of the next question that you're asking, Kenny, is, you know, what is this product? What is it supposed to be? What's their goal with the product? I remember them talking about Elijah Craig and saying, well, we could have kept the 12 year on and just raised the price. But they said, we don't want it. We want a product that's accessible. We really want to keep the price about the same. How do we do that? We want to build a brand and have this really always on shelves. We don't want it to be Weller 12. We want it to be go to the store and you can buy it, you know, that type of thing. So now the question is, is, is this going to be their flagship brand? Do they want this available always, you know, to everybody? Do they want you comparing it to, like you said, a Woodford or something like that? I think that's yet to be determined. You know, I think they had to do something to it. You know, you're changing the price a lot. They added a year to it. It's kind of like we can't just do the exact same thing. And then it looks a lot more, I think, what would be iconic or symbolic of where they're branding and where everything is going, you know, where it does really come across is here's a representation of us. They push bottled and bond. I start to wonder if how much they push value versus we perceive value. That's kind of a curious point of mine is where does that come from? Because it does step outside that boundary. And I think it does step outside that boundary of while everything's overwhelmingly high value. Now you're asking the question saying, well, this maybe isn't, you know, and you know, too, that the price might be the same for the next 10 years. And they, they know that, too, that you don't see a lot of these really creep up in price unless the retailers are doing a lot of times they'll keep them the same. So I think that's yet to be determined where we're really going to see this and how it's going to be, you know, kind of viewed and consumed in the marketplace and where they want that, you know, the consumers to be. Brian, I want to kind of let you kind of give your, your opinion. I mean, do you think this is this is competing within those those different price points of, of the Woodfords and the Knob Creeks that are out there. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. 
And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Brian, I want to kind of let you kind of give your, your opinion. I mean, do you think this is this is competing within those those different price points of, of the Woodfords and the Knob Creeks that are out there? Well, forty dollars is the new twenty five dollars, mm-hmm. and everything that we used to be able to get just five to eight years ago now is going to be forty dollars. So, as consumers, we just have to accept that. What really struck me the most about this is is a few days after this happened, I was at a continuing legal ed seminar and the KDA was had a presenter there. And she was, and I had heard this before, but totally forgot it. She was saying that 60% of a dollar for your spirits purchase in Kentucky goes to taxes. So you've got a you've got a $12 bottle and you've got just over $7 of that goes to some way, shape, or form to taxes. Heaven Hill can't can't make I mean, I'm sure they're doing fine, but hold on, hold on. You, you forget the retail who, who makes money off the retail and who makes money in the distributor. And then so you have what's left of the actual producer. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean it's <laughs> you, you can't you can't sell bourbon for eleven ninety nine. Um you just can't. I always treated the the six year as sort of my 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 bar. I mean, if if you had a craft whiskey that was that was however old, and you couldn't be better than a six year Heaven Hill bottled and bond, it wasn't going to be worth spending sixty dollars on it. Um, when you could get a when I could get at least in Kentucky a, a twelve dollar bottle of fantastic bourbon. So I, as a consumer, I'm sad about it. Um, as looking at it from Heaven Hill's perspective, it's a no brainer. Uh, to Nick's point, I totally agree. This is so much better than if they had done the exact same product, exact same bottle, exact same label, cheap plastic white screw top, and increased the price to $40. Uh, they, they couldn't do that. They had to do some premium, make some premium changes to it. And and they've done that you know, with, with the cork and the label and everything else. So it's people are going to buy it. It's, it's going to be worth it. You know, air quotes worth it. Uh, but as a consumer, I'm, I'm sad about it, but it makes sense. 
I just don't understand. Why can't they just be honest? <laughs> like, I just don't well, get yeah. what's the advantage of like, yeah. let's pull it off the market and we'll pretend like we just hit it and we're not going <laughs> to do anything. Hopefully and in a these, year they forget these about people it. People forget about it. And then it's like, it's like, going the, to, I want to, it's like going to go in these boardrooms. Like buy, like go to buy, buy a president with your kid at Target and be like, yeah. okay, I'll go hide in the closet till Christmas. I mean, I just right. want to go in these border meetings and be like, are you serious? Like, do you think we're that stupid? Like, like consumers that stupid? I guess it's my point that most of these distillers just don't care about consumers. But, uh, Anyways, I don't care. I totally understand why they're doing it. Yes, $12 a bottle. I mean, we sell bourbon. We can't sell. I couldn't even sell it for $90 a bottle to make money. So it's, I totally get it. Just don't be, don't fool us. We're not idiots. Like, it's stupid. Was that the case though? Or or was it just, you know, I guess looking at it, I'm not at all surprised. I mean, when it happened, I I really kind of assumed this was coming. I was just not sure what it was going to be exactly. In all honesty, I'm I'm surprised the price is as low as it is. I, I kind of thought they were going to go more the old Fitz route and have more of a, pr- a premium thing and kind of step it up that much. So because it is more of the everyday price of what you're seeing now, like you said, the new 40s, the new 25, it actually had me a little excited of, hey, this is something hopefully I can go buy now. And it's a little bit older. I assume it's going to taste a little bit different than what the six year was. And I'm not really sure you know, with all these discussions, they knew exactly what the plan was going to be or that they would want to say anything until it was coming. You know, do you want to say it a year before it's ready? You know, because they went from six to seven, you know, or was it, you know, they just thought the time would be the key that they just thought, oh, after a year, people were, would forget. That's a good I think, question. I think they got mad Ezra Brooks won some awards at seven years. <laughs> and they're like, you know what? Well, uh, <laughs> Screw this. Well, think, wouldn't, wouldn't we all appreciate a press release at this point that just says, it's like, oh, guys, we're going to make some more money. So right. you're all <laughs> stupid and you're blindly buying anything on the shelf and um, anything with $100 price tag, your dumb uncle's definitely buying. So uh, <laughs> hey, you, like, y'all pay way too much attention to bourbon. Like, just, yeah. just take a back seat on this one. It's okay. Yeah. I actually think there's a whole brand opportunity there, Blake, for just that brand that just jokes about everything. It's called and, it, and it's legit. Truth, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> That would be incredible, though. I would be like, I'm, I don't know. I think it would be so awesome if they did that. But instead, they got to do this, you know, play behind the scenes ping pong match. I don't know. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like nobody, nobody that pays attention to stuff would ever forget, uh, it, especially for a product that was iconic to, a, I would say, a lot of us. But at least people that are well known or, or should I say really know the, the bourbon landscape very well, like they know about the product. They, they know where to find it and they know about it. Now, the other side of this is perhaps it wasn't their favorite. Right. It's a value budget bourbon like that's what they loved about it it wasn't necessarily say like oh this is this is my unicorn right it's not that's what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be that this is a a budget bourbon but ryan you'd also mention the ezra brooks point of view and i kind of want to look at the competing else side of the market because anybody that okay i mean we'll say it like ezra brooks barrel proof is basically contract distilled heaven hill right it's the same exact thing and now so we're looking at the difference of a barrel proof product from heaven hill at the seven year age statement versus the heaven hill product bottled and bond less proof and the same price point what gets what do you get 
Yeah. Like, like yeah. what gives? Um, so I, that's, that comes another point. Like now who are they competing with? Are they competing against themselves? <laughs> yeah. No, there's no question. There's a high value though too with the Ezra. I think that was recognized right away. You know, so part of that is that value proposition, you know, just, just <laughs> thinking about, just thinking about when, you know, age always comes into play when you, when you think value and, you know, you get this weird dichotomy with smaller craft distillers where stuff's coming out for higher prices. But then in some cases, people are like, oh, it's, it's craft. It's not kind of recognized yet. Um, unless you want to support them, it's in some cases, it's not really, not really there yet. You know, in other cases you have, you know, somebody like New Riff who's killing it, you know, with the four year. And, you know, it bottled and bond, you know, so here you go as a four year as a seven year, you know, you look pricing. I mean, do you put them on the same platform for I'm going to compare this to that? Or do you say, well, no, there there's a different uh, comparison here because of the distillery size and, you know, those kinds of things. So that's the questions you always have to, you know, kind of look at. And some of it comes down to just how much you like it, how good it tastes. But it also comes down to how they're speaking with you. And I think, Ryan, you made a good point, you know, for the enthusiast side, because maybe some other people, the general public doesn't care, but you never want to be lied to and you never want to feel like the, the wool was pulled over your eyes, which unfortunately mm-hmm. with, the, with the Elijah Craig age statement, that was how everybody felt, you know? And so I think, you know, lesson learned, avoid doing that, like think proactively to speak to that group so that you don't, you don't lose that, you know, that faith in that community that's behind the distillery. Nick, what's that um, new riff bottled and bond cost? $55. Or no, the bottled and bond. Bottled bond's a, what is it, Blake? 40? 40. Yeah. 40. So, so right there, four year, yeah. 40. And I think, I think a great value. I think it's a great product. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess this caps the secondary price of the six year bottled and bond, right? It's got to right. be under 40. Well, now it's the old label, though. They changed it. So now it's, you know, oh, it's, it's my discontinued, so it's opposed in a way, right? So you've got a right. label you can't buy on the shelf anymore. Yeah. I want to throw All another right. one out Sorry, there. Ryan. I want to I'll throw another say, one out there. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I'll say, here you go, Heaven Hill. I know you're going to do this within the next year or <laughs> two. When you want to raise Henry McKenna's prices and you change the packaging and you change the cork so that you can justify a $20 increase, just say, we are going to change the cork and the label and we're going to raise it by 20 bucks because we think it's undervalued and i will say amen i will go buy it still uh, i think that's a good ad. Ryan. that's it though like anyone who's paying attention is somebody who cares anyone who's not paying attention doesn't care so mm-hmm. you got to speak to that group yep yep I mean, and that was ryan you, you kind of teed up the next question right there is is we we now see an aspect with inside of heaven hill that they're kind of cannibalizing themselves where they have products that have higher age statements and higher, uh, I want to say perceived value uh, and sometimes even higher proof selling for less money than this product that they're putting out. So, you know, you, you look at the, uh, the Henry McKenna bottle of bond, as you mentioned, you got Evan Williams, you got JTS Brown, you've got JW Dant, you have all of these different products and mind you that unless the, less something's changed and I don't know recently, but they're, they're, bourbon not weeded mash bill with the regular bourbon mash bill is one bourbon mash bill like nothing's changed so it's the same product that's going into all these just different aging warehouses locations so on and so forth so do you all see themselves as kind of like cannibalizing and like making themselves like like they're they're fighting against themselves in the market with their own products Mm, in a a way maybe I, i think fewer people 
are going to tie those things together, then, you know, when you think of the mass market, I'm not sure a lot of people walk in and realize they're coming from the same place at the store. So I think it's still a pretty small percentage that it even acknowledges that. It's, yeah. it's like, why do you have a CVS on, you know, two blocks away from each other? And it's like, well, you're more likely to stop in at the CVS or Walgreens if it's, at, you know, right next to you as opposed to two miles away. It's still not that big of a deal. So if you go into a store and it's like, all right, what's on the shelf? If, you know, they only had one product, you're less likely to grab that bottle when there's 100 products on the shelf. So they put eight to 10 out there you're more likely to grab it. So um, I think I think the answer to your question, Kenny, when I was out at a bourbon event at a different city and I met some people that just started drinking bourbon six months ago, they had no idea that Eagle Rare, Buffalo Trace, and all, you know, under that same mash bill were the same exact mash bill. And they're like, what? You're kidding me. Like, it's the same mash bill. They have no idea that, like, all these brands are the same mash bill, just different prices, different age, whatever. So they just, like... The modern, the, the everyday consumer has no idea. And you pointed them to the bourbon or mash bill breakdowns. <laughs> Actually, I, didn't use that as a cheat sheet. I didn't use that as a cheat sheet. Thank you. There you go. We give away posters of that shit now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Here's your mash bill. Yep. Yeah. But but I do want to also give a shout out to to Dave over at Rarebird 101 because I know he's 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 been talking a lot in the chat here. Uh is always saying like Wild Turkey 101, it's still there, price hasn't changed. So you can so, always go there. I saw uh, his ten dollar yeah comment on that. It's the oh, new ten dollar, right? Exactly. So he's 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 trying to put his stake in the ground and hoping that's with bourbon of choice. Yeah. Well he's he's also hoping the Campari folks don't start taking a note out of uh, Heaven Hill's mm-hmm. playbook here. Uh but then the also kind of thing is uh, you know when we look at this and we look at it from the enthusiast point of view, you know, we are the bourbon enthusiast. This is, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a bourbon enthusiast. Yeah. There's, there's no way getting around it, right? You are, you are one of the, the few people that really care. Maybe not as much as us, but you care a lot. You care yeah, a lot. A niche of a niche of a niche. Exactly. And so you kind of look at it and you're like, well, if heaven Hill really wants to make money off the enthusiasts and really care about them. Uh, and this is what David at Rareberry one one says. He says, maybe you should sell single barrels at more than 90 my, more than 94 proof, right? Do something more than, than just what you can do at Elijah Craig. And he's, I think he might be onto Absolutely. something. Yes. They, they ruin those single barrel picks, but, but selling them at 94 proof. It's, it's a travesty really, mm-hmm. but you know. And so the, the last kind of thing I want to hit on with this as it's uh, kind of rounding out this topic here is we had noticed inside of the press release. And this is, this is almost like unheard of to be able to have a bourbon, that's being launched coming from a prestigious distillery inside of Kentucky. And it says it's available in eight States. And you start looking down and you start looking and there's one, or there's, there's one abbreviation you don't see. And that's KY. You do not see KY as one of the first States that are out there. Now, Ryan and I have a kind of a good inkling of, of why this might be. And, and I, I'll kind of let Ryan uh, take it here. So Ryan kind of, kind of give your, your thought and your process of why wouldn't you go and make Kentucky an available market on day one because they know they'll sell it no matter what, whenever it gets here. So they got to go spread to the masses and uh, get the new consumers, which I understand, you know, it's totally cool, but it's like Fred always talks about, you can't forget the people that brought you to the dance. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating, but you know, that's totally why, but 
It's just great to see, you know, KY not get something that the rest of us do. I <laughs> <laughs> just think we just can all agree that back. it's about time. So, <laughs> and New York is on that list. So that means yep. three to six <laughs> months after it's released, we'll see it actually in <laughs> yeah. stores. That's <laughs> like, uh, you know, Florida. All the fun releases are going to come after everyone's Instagram has been flooded with with pictures of uh, these new releases nonstop. But mm-hmm. hey, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, Ryan and I, we were talking about this because he recently took a trip and and it's kind of like Kentucky is very, very small in the big oh, picture yeah. of things. Um, you know, we, we my next point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, saying that, you know, yes, there's there's four million plus barrels of whiskey aging in Kentucky. That's more than the population of Kentucky. Uh, guess what? That's uh, that's about half the size of Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like there's and then you got these at like Houston and L.A. and New York that are you know, just it'd be even bigger. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So even, even when you look at per capita buying, which I'm sure is higher here, you're still not touching, not even close to the bigger markets. Yeah. Cause I think California and Texas, obviously, cause they have the biggest population, but um, you know, I mean, they're just crushing Kentucky as far as, you know, consuming power and booze. Mm-hmm. I'm trying and to change that one bottle at a time. You know, that'll That's be right. interesting. Just kind of going back to, these brands are realizing they don't need the enthusiast nearly as much as kind of as they hope initially. Yeah. Yeah. Or as we hope, um, you know, what starts happening when this stuff stops hitting Kentucky as much, because overall Kentucky still gets the lion's share of a lot of the allocated bourbon. And to my knowledge, this is the first one that kind of gave the Kentucky snub. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, if, if that's, kind of hurts the brand overall or they just find a new market and never look back. Um, so it'll be interesting. No, I, I think you're totally right. Uh, I think this is going to be, it, it could be one of those pivotal moves we start seeing in regards to the market and how things shift. And when somebody is going to launch a product, where are they going to launch it? Uh, and they're going to look at the target markets. They're going to look at where do, where do the most bourbon consumers live now? Granted, Kentucky is there, but Kentucky's also a large state. Kentucky isn't the size of Houston, right? Like Houston's no. a pretty big populace. Actually, it's a much bigger populace than Kentucky as a state, right? So yeah, that might be the that might be the the idea of like maybe that's where you go. Like that's where the money is. Um, and not only that, is there's this is this is not a game of um, you know, trying to target a a particular kind of consumer. Like this is a game of people with disposable income. That yeah. are are buying. Yeah, buying I mean, Kentucky's liquor. a poor state. I mean, they're one of the, you know, probably top ten poorest states in the, if not even higher than in the in the country. So I mean, there's not a lot of people with disposable incomes that can just drop money on expensive bourbons all the time. But but we spend it on rep tickets and bourbon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and priorities. <laughs> but but was that the thinking though, or I mean, does something play into it? I mean, because it is, I mean, it is really odd that it was a Kentucky only release, and and kind of coming back, you know, you'd think like that's the narrative that it was Kentucky only, and we're going to start in Kentucky. So you know, was it because they wanted more momentum in other states first, or you know, was there concern that it was going to be received or perceived really negatively because? you know, you took it away and then, and then brought it back at, at the price it's coming back at, you know, you got to wonder if there's more to it than just 
this is what's going to give the most momentum as much as, you know, was there a PR play that got batted back and forth about where do we start here? Because it, it seems like it's going to be everywhere. And, and it seems like wherever it is, it's new. It's talked about. It's probably going to do pretty well. Um, so it is really odd that it didn't start in Kentucky. I got to admit that despite it thinking it's a smart move, not being in Kentucky is really it, it makes me wonder how they came to that conclusion. Well, I mean, it could be like, oh, well, it's been in your state for the past how many of your years? You haven't been mining. You didn't care, you didn't care, about, you didn't care about it until a yeah. year and a half ago. Yeah. Like, let's go somewhere else. You know, it could be yeah, that. You didn't, you didn't care until we said we were going to pull it. And then then it got popular. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and let's let's kind of finish this one on a, on a, a fun little touchy subject, too, because – why not? Right. So uh, this was a question that kind of came in over Twitter and it was kind of in regards of secondary market pricing and retailers and how do you justify buying stuff? And so uh, Kurt Belawaski said, how do you support retailers that are struggling to elevate prices in regards of allocated or limited and hard to find bottles? He said, I live in uh, Western South Dakota and they hardly get oh, any yeah. anything. Exactly. <laughs> Literally, you just took the words out of my mouth. He said, I, we hardly get any allocated bottles of good bourbon. However, I went to the store the other night where I saw an Ember Tea Leaf on the shelf for uh, $60. I had, If I had not already had two bottles of home, I probably would have bought it. However, the first bottles that I did buy were $35 each. I ended up buying store picks at the retailer the other night instead, and they're delicious, but I just couldn't pull the trigger on the Elmers, uh, especially at that inflated price. He said, what do you think? Uh, I figured is any business I give them better than none, but it just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth about their business. So I guess I'll kind of hand it over to you all. Is there a reason or is there a time that you you should support these retailers that are, um, and this is kind of even going to, uh, this is actually a recent thing. Uh, we've had Jamie Ferris from Lincoln Road on the podcast before. Uh, he just recently released his Willett family estate bottles. Uh, he had a 17-year barrel that he had, as well as I think an 11 and a five-year. But the 17-year, he was selling for $1,000 a bottle. So everybody knows Lincoln Road. Everybody loves him. However, should you support businesses like this? And why or why not? Yeah, I mean, so I guess I'll jump straight into it. But I mean, to, to me, if it's selling for that, you know, that price point on the secondary market, why shouldn't the uh, the retailer take advantage of that? Um, now, granted, you could say that he could offer it to other retailers or other customers who are frequently buying, but the, the whole market in general right now is pretty underpriced. And, you know, even with the Lincoln Roads, was there a single bottle that went unsold in the first I don't know, 48 hours. I'm pretty sure they're all gone. So probably not, um, man. Yeah. So that's where the market drove it. And it just, at this point seems a little naive to think that, you know, why would Jamie sit there and sell it for $300 when he knows some guy's going to buy it and put it for a thousand dollars on yeah. you know, the bourbon he's, second he's in the market. parking lot and he's already got it posted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that's the most frustrating thing ever. And you, you kind of got to find a balance while I think some of these guys, you, you're finding the balance and they have these, you know, trophy bottles that are just going to sit on the shelf. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, quote unquote, pappy 10 year for $4,000 or something. It's like, okay, you obviously don't understand what's actually going on. But for guys who are, who are really into bourbon, they know the market, 
like I don't have a problem with them, you know, being the ones to to get the the, the good margins from this, you know, better than a guy just sitting in his car taking a crotch shot and throwing it on a Facebook group. So, I mean, is the procession changing? And, and all us, you know, Brian or Nick, like, what do you think? Is the procession changing over time? That you know, if we rewind the clocks back two or three years ago, we we're like, oh, you know, screw these retailers, like. They should be selling it at you know retail price, like they keep doing this. But now we're kind of like, hey, like you know, you got to will it; it's uh, undervalued. You got Pappy; it's value undervalued. You got BTEC; it's undervalued. Like you should be charging secondary market prices. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I was really frustrated five years ago when I would go to a store and I would see uh, it something that you know wasn't BTEC, wasn't wasn't a Pappy twenty three. You know, it'd be something like an Elijah Craig. 12-year barrel proof, I remember at a store outside of Lebanon, was charging something like $200 for it five years ago. And that that's just outrageous. And there's another store just outside of Lawrenceburg that charges jacked up prices. And now you look back at that and you wonder, well, you know, it's, it's who's in, you know, air quotes again, entitled to that money. So I don't necessarily blame a retailer for charging that. I mean, it's not, people use the word gouging really not gouging it's it's yeah. what the market bears and mm-hmm. it's similar to the our heaven hill discussion as a consumer i can't stand it i, I hate it you know i want the value i want to be able to get my 55 dollar elijah craig barrel proof i want to be able to get my six-year heaven hill bottled and bond for 12 bucks but i can't do it anymore um and then i think the other thing we need to think about is is reliability uh, there's been enough problems on the secondary market about who you can trust and who you can't trust. And you, you should be able to trust a store more. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about bar pourers and you can't trust an open bottle. But if you're buying a sealed bottle from a store, at least you know you should be getting what what the bottle is. Yeah. So I'd, from, from that standpoint, I, I, I don't blame them for charging that. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to buy it. Um, someone will buy it, but I won't, but I don't blame them. Yeah. I think there's a difference in seeing like a $500 Weller 12 and a 2000 or $2,500 Pappy 23. Like, you know, there, one of the things is not like the other where I can kind of say, yeah, you're, you'll probably get somebody to walk in who buys the Pappy, but the Weller 12, that's just a dumb buy no matter who you are. So yeah, yeah. the Weller I mean, that's special the reserve that's yeah. used with yeah. the Weller 12. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, send I, those guys to me. <laughs> I wrote something about this. I was just looking, it was almost three years ago now. And, and I used the word gouging in there and I, and I know now, and I know at the time it's not technically gouging. It was the point of the, the context of the, of the write-up, just the case for MSRP. But this was, and even three years ago, I feel like it was very different than it is right now. I do, I do think it's it's come to be more accepted where I think maybe over the past five, six, seven years, you can get back to a point where, not to say it wasn't happening at all, but it was much less frequent. And you certainly still had a lot of opportunity for MSRP and you had a lot of retailers that didn't realize what they had yet. And now you've really seen, I think, two directions. I think one, they're getting more educated about what is what, but you do have those that are putting the stupid price on something, thinking it's something else, not knowing. You know, and, and it is a little frustrating in some cases. The flip side is, is, you know, 
go where they have the things that you want, go where they treat you good and don't go to the other places. And, you know, retailers can still be creative. You know, there's a local retailer here that's a little bit off the beaten path, had the best selection, you know, pretty much in the area and decided this year is going to sell all his allocation at MSRP basically, but you're going to get basically a ticket to buy it by buying a bottle. So he, he cleared out a bunch of great stuff on his shelves for the most part at MSRP and then sold the stuff for basically MSRP. So he actually did pretty well with that. And he generated a lot of goodwill with the community too, because it was a fun thing that he did. You know, so I, I still think there's opportunity there, but it's where you want to position as a retailer, your store, you know, and you're seeing retailers online, you know, if you want to have a wide selection, you can't put everything on an MSRP because it's going to be gone and you don't have a selection. It's the same thing with bars. The Pappy is gone if you're doing it for 15 bucks a port. You've got to price it high enough that you have enough it lasts until your next allocation. They're, that's the way they're thinking. So it depends on where the retailer is going to. You know, and so what do you do in that position? Yeah, if you're a retailer, you're looking at that and saying, why should somebody go sell it somewhere else illegally when I'm the one who's you know taking all the risk, putting all the money out? And really, it's a pretty small percentage of what they're doing anyway, You know, where you have that opportunity to make a few thousand bucks pretty easily kind of hard to blame them for doing that you know so it's just it's frustrating to see though because it does pull this stuff that was within reach before a little bit further out of reach and further out of reach for a lot of people too yeah you make a good point like this small percentage of what they do i mean these liquor stores i mean they make they make profit off these limited releases but it doesn't pay the bills for them you know it's just it's a nice thing to do but they could care less i mean not care less but it's just something nice that they can offer their premium customers. And so, yes, is it frustrating? The, the, the annoying thing is like the Willers and like the Elmer T's that you're like, seriously, like I get the Pappies and like Willits being, but like the every day that we're like 30 bucks a bottle, like why is it 120, $200 a bottle? That's just stupid. But uh, anywho, I don't so, even know where so I'm going with this. What's, what's happened on the secondary when, for example, Drew started charging higher prices at the at the gift shop? Yeah, yeah. they just went up. He, he, I mean, basically, a flipper just doubles whatever the retailer is. Like and, that's and people, that how it works, and people still pay it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and and maybe it's maybe there are certain brands that just fall into this umbrella, right? That are the I don't know, like the the untouchables, right? Maybe well, it's one of those brands that just says, like, hey, it doesn't matter whatever it is, like you're gonna hey, you're gonna yeah. sell whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I still wonder about the percentage that really are actually buying on secondary, and how much of that percentage is outside a restaurant or bar who's the ultimate purchaser who's actually still going to have a markup even at a secondary price. In a lot of cases, you know, I. I see friends go to local stores and buy stuff that's way overpriced you know they they don't they're not at all even involved in the secondary you know so i think that's i think that's just becoming more prevalent now and i think that's probably a much larger percentage of the higher priced purchases is they are happening at retail now and in in a way that's where they should be happening you know it's it's ultimately what makes sense but part of it's uneducated consumers part of it's just that demand and part of it's in some cases it's 150 bucks it's not the end of the world for some people you know so if they overpay for it they're happy because they got something they really wanted and it is what it is yep 
all right, I know we can we can talk about retail and pricing and secondary and all this kind of stuff for I think probably for another roundtable, maybe another hour. Who knows? We might stick around afterwards and and talk about it some more. But I think it's a this is a good way to kind of cap this and end this because you know for a lot of us as as hardcore bourbon consumers, we have to we have to we we've given out the tips. I know that you all with blogs, like there's, there's tips on how to be a good bourbon consumer, you know, shop at the same store, making sure that you're, you're buying at the right place and, 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 manner. and well, I mean, you really like you establish a relationship and that's really what it's about. You know, don't, don't sit there and, you know, cause in the day, uh, you know, some of the big box chains, they, they might not take care of you. Uh, you're going to be in the, you're going to be in the, I don't know what you would call it, but basically the, the rat race with everybody else trying to get these allocated bottles and you're, you're paying, uh, whatever thousands of dollars to get your names on these lists. And it, and it's tough. Uh, you know, it is a, it is a pay to play kind of game. And at the end of the day, maybe if you're spending all this money getting all this other kind of stuff, maybe you should just be buying them a secondary anyway. So, but like I said, we'll, we'll save that for another topic on another night, but you know, gentlemen, I want to say thank you again for joining us on tonight's roundtable. It was a good discussion talking about the, you know, the Jim Beam stuff, the Heaven Hill stuff, and then as well as this. So as usual, I'm going to let you all kind of give a, a ability to give a shout out of where you all blog and where they can find you and everything like that. And we'll start off how we started. Blake, with you first. All right. You know, always a good, uh, always a good discussion. So glad to be here. Again, I'm Blake from bourboner.com. That's B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R.com as well as sealbox.com. S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S. Yep. And now before I, I realize it, one of the things that Kurt had asked, uh, should I have bought those Elmer, Elmer Tillys at $60? <laughs> I, I would have said yes. I probably would have bought them at 60 Yeah. But. I mean, I feel like that's, you know, you got to look at it like even at $60, that bottle is probably better than the majority of stuff yeah. that, is out there right now. So I would what's, the, what's the MSRP on that? 60 isn't really... What's, what's M- I think it's like 35, 30. 30, yeah, 30, 35. I think that varies a lot by state though too because I've seen yeah. some of the, the New York prices. They're quite a bit more. And I know retailers get hit with like a split case charge and in some cases where they're paying an extra three bucks a bottle or something and they don't have a choice. It's this is what you're paying, you know, type of thing. So mm-hmm. prices move around a lot. That, that's not too far off. I, I'm thinking more when you're paying 150 for Elmer. That's where but you, you don't do that. I mean, I don't want to be a jerk, but I haven't bought Elmer probably in five years since it's been $30. Yeah. I mean, it's just not, it, it, it's good and all, and, and I've got some. So that's what makes me a jerk for saying I'm not going to buy it. Yeah, but you have to camp here to get it. So it's like yeah. not worth it. It's, it's not worth it to camp. Yeah, do not camp for Elmer. Yeah. That's Bring the, Elmer camping. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. There you go. Flip the script on it. Nick, go ahead and close it out for us. Or All right. I'm Nick, Nick from Breaking Bourbon. Uh, check us out on BreakingBourbon.com and uh, social media at Breaking Bourbon. And uh, I know that this guy isn't going to go camping for Elmer. So, Brian, go ahead. All right. Thanks. Uh, Brian with Sippin' Corn, S-I-P-P-N-C-O-R-N. You can find me mostly on Twitter, a little bit on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also find me on sippingcorn.com and bourbonjustice.com. Thanks, guys. Speaking of Elmer, I think the last bottle I got was the, the granny panties one or whatever. It tastes like a basement. Like I a, got one of those. I got one. Oh, of those you got giant. one of those bad ones? Yeah, oh. I got one. I got one. And since then, I haven't opened any more. I'm, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. that's. A, I think it's a throwback to a roundtable back in 20. 20- 
late 2015, maybe 2016, something like that. Yeah. 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 And they basically basically just said, like, no, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. People buy it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It fits our profile perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) We're going for that mothball scent. (laughs) My laser codes are important, people. There you go. You heard it. You heard it from the man that uh, if you need evidence, that's what it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead. We'll kind of round this out. You know, gentlemen, I want to say thank you again for for coming on the show tonight, and everybody that was on the chat. Thank you so much. There was a lot of good comments in there, and talking about uh, you know wild turkey, and talking about Heaven Hill, and kind of everybody that that had everybody has a kind of uh, a stake in in this sort of game here. And it, it's good yeah. to see a lot of the comments really come through because it really does show the passion that this community does have behind a lot of these brands and really what it does mean to it. Um, and then Ryan, I'll let you close out of here in a second, but people make sure that if you do like the show, leave us a review uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It's always great to kind of see that coming through. And we're always trying to make the show better every single time with uh, good guesses as such as we've had on tonight. All right. So I'm up. Um, yeah, that's kind of how it works. <laughs> yes, it's no. not like you've done this 200 or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the Cal Ripken, so kind of. <laughs> no, it's great discussion. You know, it's it's as irritating as it is. What like the way Heaven Hill has done this? I mean, it is pretty cool though, and like it just shows you like how much potential bourbon still has to go. Every year, I'm like, all right, it's maxed out. Like we're gonna hit. You know, it's but. And but now I'm kind of still thinking it's just the beginning, and it's just you know stuff like this just shows you that there's still some trajectory and a lot of growth, which is good for all of us, even consumers. And I think we're going to hit the glory period in about five years, where we have tons of great bourbons, great values, and but uh, no, it's just cool to see. And and I, I just hope they invite me on their next press conference, or not press conference, but on their their next uh, conference table board meeting, where I can give them a little advice. But uh, Anywho, but thanks for everyone that listened in tonight. Uh, we appreciate it. And the chat always, I've, I've been following it all night. I love the chat. It's awesome. So, anywho, thanks, Kenny. Wrap it up. <laughs> well, all right. Well, with that, cheers, everybody. And we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers.